Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and I would like to kick things off by highlighting our Shields Outdoors customer of the week. This week's winner is the Instagram group Mule Outdoors. You can see a post from them on Thursday, January 28th on both our Instagram and Facebook platforms featuring these guys in a few of their ice fishing photo submissions where they have been putting the smack down on some huge fish from the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area. They've been having some great success using tip-ups for both pike and muskie in the surrounding metro lakes. A lot of times, tip-up fishing is really popular as the big fish start to stage for the spawning season, but these guys are proving that you don't have to wait until pre-spawn to catch some really big fish. Congratulations, Mule Outdoors, on being chosen as our Shields Outdoors Customers of the Week. This week, we are joined by an assistant store leader from our brand new Colorado Springs store, which is scheduled to open March 27th here in 2021. We are super excited to be opening this new store, and we'll talk about it a little bit in this podcast, but that is not going to be the main topic. We are going to be talking about fly fishing which is a huge passion for our guest, Chris Pyra. Now I'm going to give full disclosure here that I don't know much, if anything, about fly fishing. So we're going to cater this podcast to the people like me who don't know a ton about fly fishing, but are interested to learn. Thankfully, Chris has agreed to do a little crash course for us on the ins and outs of fly fishing. Thank you for joining us today, Chris. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for shields and how you developed a passion for fly fishing? Absolutely, Mike. Thank you uh, for allowing me to do this. Uh, as I said earlier, it's uh, allowing me to do something that I think about almost every day. So uh, I'm excited to, to share that passion with everybody. So uh, just a little bit about me. I, I grew up in central Idaho um, and I really developed a, a passion for fly fishing pretty early. Uh, but I grew up in, in Idaho, uh, in the outdoors, fishing, fly fishing, uh, hiking, camping, doing all the great things that, uh, that we love to do in the outdoors. Um, and I came to Shields about 18 years ago. So I've, I've worked a long time, uh, super passionate about my job as an assistant store leader. Uh, a couple of other things that I get to do that are really fun is I'm the human resources leader for our store in Colorado Springs. So I get to meet a lot of new people, uh, get to hear about their stories and about their passions for the outdoors as well. So that that's a lot of fun for me. One of the other privileges that I've had over the last few years is I've been able to uh, be a, a, on the fly fishing buying team for our company. So every year I get to go to the International Fly Fishing Show and meet with vendors and meet with my colleagues and talk about fly fishing, but just uh, find the, the best, newest products and add those to our selection in our stores at Shields. I've been doing that now for probably about 10 years and uh, one of the most enjoyable things. Uh, again, I, I don't think I, I work a day ever at Shields. It's something that... Uh, I get to come in and sell things that, that I just, like I said, I think about every day. So it's, it's been a huge passion of mine. Um, 
as I said, you know, I grew up in central Idaho around the mountains, uh, close to a really good blue ribbon trout stream and river called uh, Silver Creek. Uh, it's a spring creek fishery that draws from uh, draws fly fishing anglers from all over the world. It comes out of the ground from spring fed tributaries and then disappears into the ground somewhere in, in southern Idaho. Um, a lot of times they said they really haven't found where it, where it goes, but it's, uh, it has really great trout fishing in it. Um, it's it's uh, an iconic uh, spring creek, and that's really where I developed my real passion for the outdoors and, and for fishing while growing up. It wasn't really until I was about 24 years old um, that I got my first fly rod combo, though, um, my, like my true really good fly rod combo, um, and it was a gift from my wife. Um, and I think that's a lot. That's how a lot of fly fishermen start: is they start by uh, just developing uh, a passion for the outdoors, and then they see how fun it can be, and then they either get it as a gift, or uh, a lot of times they don't go out and buy it themselves. Um, so you know, I, I developed my passion for it. It, it was hard at first. Uh, at times, I wanted to quit and just go back to conventional rod and reel fishing. I think it took me 10 times uh, fishing before I actually caught my first fish on a fly rod. So I was ready to go back because it wasn't easy like I was used to with conventional fishing. But if there's there's one thing I've learned about it is you have to stick with it. Um, you have to force yourself not to bring a backup conventional rod if you've been conventional fishing because, uh, you know, you, you can catch fish. I wanted to always go out and catch fish, but I wasn't forcing myself to learn the sport. Um, so it wasn't until I said, that's it, I figured this out, and I'm not going to fall back on conventional fishing, is when I really started to, to love the sport and to enjoy it and to start catch fish because I forced myself really to learn it. So, um, you know, don't get me wrong, when I get the chance to go out and catch uh, large lake trout, cutthroats and salt water in the deep in the deep water i jump at the chance but uh, i've just forced myself to to fly fish so you know and that's really i think how people should get into the sport of fly fishing is if you have a a real desire for it just force yourself to do it and, and don't fall back on something just because you want to catch fish yeah, that's kind of the way, uh, that's kind of the mentality I need to take. I just, I, I've always been interested in it, but, um, you know, I have all the regular fishing gear at home and, you know, it just, it seems a little bit easier, but, you know, I, t I took a trip to Yellowstone maybe all oh, three or four years ago and we just did all this sightseeing and we got to one of these streams and, and I was just, you know, looking out into the water and you could see all the fish like swimming around there. And I just thought to myself, I need to pick up a fly rod and I need to try this out, but I just, uh, I haven't quite committed yet. I need to, I need to just jump in. <laughs> yeah. And you know, people have watched, uh, movies like the river runs through it, or, uh, they see others, uh, you know, the gear that they're using, the places that you go when you're fly fishing. And it really is like, you know, it's the people want to try it because they feel like, it's uh, something relaxing, and uh, there's a there's a little bit of bling around it, you know, uh, a little bit of starstruck uh, uh, mentality to it. So I think that's why they're drawn to it is because they see others doing it. Maybe they want to be like a, a, 
an actor in a movie and they can kind of picture that. But, uh, I think that's why people are drawn to it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the calmness and the, and the serenity of things, you know, I've, uh, I, I got into the, the show Yellowstone on, on Amazon. And there was one episode that I, that I vividly remember where the, the main guy, Kevin Costner was, uh, was out fly fishing with this, with his buddy. And, you know, he has, he's had so much turmoil going on and they're just, they're out fly fishing to get away from it all. And, you know, the one, his friend goes to him, he's like, Oh, I just lost my last fly. And, and he goes to, he goes to Kevin Costner and, and he's just been like throwing, throwing the line back and forth. And he's like, you know, I've, I haven't had a fly on for an hour, buddy. (laughs) That's, that's something that's really nice to have right now, just to be able to shut your brain off and just get away from, from everything and enjoy the outdoors and, and just the beauty everything brings and, you know, hopefully catch some big fish at the same time too. That's a good point you bring up because I think I've talked to so many anglers, like conventional anglers that they talk to me about, you know, going, when, where did you go fishing and and how many fish did you catch? And, you know, I'll say, well, I think I caught one or two, but it was a great day. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Like, like I didn't catch 30 or 40 fish in the day and then I'm not happy with catching that. But, uh, uh, but that really makes the point what you bring up about Kevin Costner saying that is because fly fishermen will go out. There will be fly fishermen that will fish their entire lives trying to catch one steelhead fish in the Pacific Northwest. They'll go out and spend an entire day fishing. They might get 10 hookups and never get a fish, but they keep going back because it's, it's the, uh, it's the anticipation of being able to catch, uh, you know, a 20 pound steelhead cut, uh, steelhead trout, you know, it's, it's that, it's that lure of the dream of just catching something of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So can you, can you dive a little bit into the differences between fly fishing and normal fishing and, you know, maybe some things that you can do with fly fishing that you can't with a normal traditional rod and reel? Yeah, uh, you bet. So I think if the best way to talk about it is to first talk about their similarities, like what are the similarities between a conventional rod and reel and a fly fishing rod and reel and how those how the anglers uh, approach the waters? Um, You know, they both use a rod and reel to deliver a lure. Uh, And in the case of a conventional rod and reel, it would be maybe a spinner or a crankbait or you know, some, some live bait, something like that. In the case of fly fishing, you're trying to deliver a fly, a smaller, you know, a much smaller, lighter weight type of object. Um, we both use lures. We try to imitate some of the underwater uh, insects and other aquatic uh, animals and uh, fish. You know, we're, we're trying to fish and, and imitate. Uh, in fly fishing, they call it match the hatch. You know, in, in uh, conventional fishing, it might be just trying to imitate the the forage uh, minnows and the bait and stuff that's, you know, under the water. Um, all fishermen do it because they love the sport. You know, those are those are reasons that they would be very similar. A lot of the main differences are is that I think fly fishing is so much more challenging. But in my opinion, the, re- the reward is greater. You know, for example... Um, getting the fish to strike a fly that you have personally tied is 
is something that it's just a feeling that you can't uh, that you can't feel anywhere else. That's that's special to a fly fisherman is being able to create that fly, deliver it to the fish, and have them take that and strike it and, and make it feel like it's a real fish. Um, also, fly rods they're made to match the fly lines. Um, the one of the differences is is that. Uh, when a conventional angler picks up a fly rod, they try to cast the fly rod just as they would cast a conventional rod. So just pulling back and then with a lot of force trying to, trying to throw that, that lure out there. The problem is, is the fly is virtually weightless and you can't deliver it that way. So you have to create or you have to false cast, what we call false casting, where the motion from front to back um, is the same. Like you, you push your rod forward at the same speed and then you pull it back at the same speed, pausing at two different points. Uh, we call it 10 o'clock and two o'clock. Um, so that's, that's the main difference. You can't force the fly out there. It's a gradual casting motion. Um, another big difference is, like I said, the flies are very light. They're small. So you have to cast using weighted line. Uh, instead of the weight of the lure or putting extra weight on the end of the line to get that out there. Um, and fly fishing, if you know what you're doing, can be much more effective at targeting fish in certain situations. Uh, one example is if you're fishing a river and uh, you're trying to, you know, the, a lot of the western rivers, especially in Colorado, um, have very small insects. And there's a lot of trout in these, you know, in these uh, fisheries and trout will target those, um, those very small insects or very small aquatic animals. And when you're fishing a conventional rod and reel, that's not really set up very well to be able to uh, swing your, your bait down through uh, a pool or a riffle. Um, whereas a fly rod has that advantage because you can deliver a very small, tiny insect looking fly using this weighted line in a very small area. Um, so that's the advantage I think that fly fishing has over conventional fishing is that you can, uh, you can get into such smaller areas where fish are holding and be able to imitate the aquatic insects uh, much, much better than what you would do with any conventional rod. Uh, there's been many times where I've stepped into uh, a river and been able to catch more fish than maybe a buddy of mine who's using a conventional rod. And then he turns to me and asks me if, I, if he can use my rod because he's not catching fish. <laughs> so I, I think that's a lot of the, the main differences. You know, just to kind of describe it to somebody is it, you're just so much more effective, in, uh, especially in uh, being able to imitate what's underwater because when you have the fly, but you can deliver it in a more effective manner especially on like Western trout rivers or trout rivers all over the United States for that, for that matter. Okay. So with fly fishing, it's really about matching the hatch and then having your yes. bait be as lifelike as possible in a spot that a fly would normally be, you know, right, right where the fish are at. Right. Okay. And a lot of anglers, fly anglers, they'll, they'll come up to a river and you can buy uh seining nets um, for insects. So, for example, what I'll do is I'll walk up to a river, and if I'm, if I want to try to find out what the trout are 
are doing, there's a couple of ways to do it. I think the most effective way, if you're a new angler and uh, before you go out to a river is one, try to study what insects are going to be in that river. Uh, and then if you, you can Google them and find images of those and, and maybe take your phone with you if you have access and pull those up while you're streamside. But then what I do is I take a net, uh, a fairly small net, and I'll stick it in the river downstream just about a foot or two away from me. And then I'll, I'll rustle up the rocks or kind of push my foot into the rocks. And it, uh, the, the insects are usually, you know, they're clinging to those rocks. And all of that silt and insects that came up from the rocks, they'll flow downstream into my net. And then I'll pick my net, net up out of the water and look inside and see what kind of aquatic insects are in that net. And then I know if I, you know, if I find uh, a few dozen of one particular insect, then that's what I'm going to start to use first is an insect that imit or a fly that in that imitates that insect. And you're going to have so much more success than trying to just cast a bunch of flies out there trying to figure out what they're doing. Okay. Very interesting. So you, so you don't necessarily have like a favorite lure you tie on and start with every time you're, you're actually doing some research while you're out there to to find exactly what they're feeding on that particular day. Right. Yeah. You can definitely ask around, you know, go to a, to go to a fly shop and ask them what's been, what's been catching fish on a particular river. Uh, you can ask, you know, the, the experts that we have at Shields, they typically know, you know, what's the best fly to use in a typical normal situation. Uh, but I always like to, to verify that when I first get there is to see if that is in fact what I'm finding the most uh, but, but study of, you know, entomology and trying to figure out the insects that are in the river. Uh, if you're getting into fly fishing, you want to be great at it, understand what the flies look like, you know, and what they are so that when you're out there, you, you'll be much more effective at catching the fish rather than again, trying to just guess what, what's happening under, under the water. Okay. There you go. Research and verify. Correct. Perfect. Yeah. So let's let's dive a little bit into the equipment that you need to get started. I mean, so you need a fly rod, reel, line, flies. Um, can you can you just go through everything that's needed to to get yourself started? Yeah, you bet. And typically, when a customer comes into Shields, uh, you know, we 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 can cater ourselves uh, very easily to somebody who's going to get started, and we love to get people started into the sport. So I, I usually recommend to, uh, to a customer, especially after asking a couple of questions about what type of equipment they might already know, uh, already own from, maybe they got something from their grandpa handed down, uh, or they picked up something at a garage sale, you know, they want to know if that's going to work. Uh, so, you know, at the very minimum, you do need uh, a good rod. Um, if you're in the West, the, the most the, the most used rod is a five weight rod and rods and lines are, uh, as I said before, they're, they're put together in a manner that, uh, is weighted. Um, and they start at, uh, at like a one weight or two weight, which is really, really light, uh, usually used for very tiny, you know, small trout in, in, uh, backcountry streams that are, you know, probably, uh, less than a pound, uh, so very very small, and they go up as much as twelve or thirteen weights, which would that's what you could use for uh, large musky, 
uh, fishing, you know, in the uh, in the upper Midwest, or if you're saltwater fishing for you know large fish uh, in salt. But the most common one that is used in the West is called a five weight rod, and then you would uh, so you pick a good five weight rod, and typically if a customer's doesn't own the equipment yet, um, we have a lot of really good combos. So you can buy the rod, the reel, and then fly line, which is used to, as I said before, uh, deliver the the lure, deliver the fly. Um, and then it also comes with some leader. And all of that is is in that one combo. You know, you can spend as little as $100 or as much as $400, depending on how good of equipment that you want. But I usually recommend you know, starting at an inexpensive level, maybe between one to to two hundred dollars on a on a rod and reel combo, and then you can add some other things to it. Uh, so, I would recommend picking up a, a small fly box. Okay, quick question for you on the weights. So, say somebody is listening to this podcast or myself interested in this fly fishing and figuring out what rod to get. But uh, don't do a lot of Western fishing. Say you're in the in the Midwest and you want to go to rivers and target smallmouth bass. Like, what sort of what sort of weight would you need for that? Then would you su- still be good with a five, or do you want to move into something a little bit bigger? Yeah. So that's a really good question, and it really comes down to the line. So when manufacturers uh, come up with designs for the line. And the line is has a, a typically a braided core. Uh, so if you you know if you think about your conventional fisherman and you have you buy braided line, twisted braided line, uh, the manufacturers of these fly lines use that as the core, and then they pass it through a number of polymers and copolymers um, at the manufacturer to build up uh, the outer shell basically of that of that core to make it a fly line that, you know, is about, uh, oh, I don't know, about the size of a toothpick or maybe a little bit larger in diameter. Um, and it's, you know, very pliable. It's, it's a line, obviously. But those, way, those lines are classified by weight. And then, then you buy the rod based on the weight of the line. So if you were, if you were buying uh, or if you were fishing for smallmouth bass, as you said, then you would probably buy like a six weight or a seven weight line. And it really has a lot to do with the fly that you're using. Now think of a smallmouth bass, typically they're foraging for minnows, right? They're, they're looking for a little bit bigger bait, maybe some crawdads. And when you tie the fly uh, or you buy a fly for that's going to imitate a crawdad or a minnow, uh, that's a larger fly. Uh, and in order to get that to cast, you need a line that is a little heavier to be able to use the energy to cast that 30 to 40 feet. So it really comes down to the fly line and making sure that you match a fly line that will deliver that fly effectively. If your fly line is too light, say like a two weight or a three weight, then typically what's going to happen is there's too much weight in the fly and the energy of the line is just going to die. So it's basically just going to fall in front of you. The rod's not going to be able to cast it, and you're, you're basically going to be frustrated. So when somebody comes in and looking for uh, being able to either fish for trout or they want to fish for bass, for bass, you got to use a little heavier rod and a little heavier line like an 8-weight or 7-weight uh, because you're delivering bigger flies versus delivering really small, tiny insect type of flies. Okay. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. Um, what's the sort of correlation between the weight of line and sort of like a pound test in your traditional fishing line? Um, really, there there isn't much relation to that. Uh, basically, the the pound test is actually in the leader and the tippet. So the leader, you so the components of the rod and reel and line combo is you have the the rod obviously and then you have a reel that is has all that line but then at the end of the fly line which is you know the braided core and then the polymer line you you use um, a a leader that is tapered so it usually starts with a very strong uh, like probably a 12 or 15 pound test monofilament and then it tapers down to something that could be as small as like a two to three pound test and the reason is that was when the fly line is cast out in front of you, uh, it kind of goes out in a loop and it lays down on the water in that loop. So the energy is being transferred from a large line so that that fly line is pretty big in diameter. So when you connect the leader and the fly line together, they have to be roughly the same diameter. But then it transitions about you know seven to nine feet later into a smaller leader that you can actually tie to a fly or to a lure uh, that's not going to spook the fish because you can imagine if you've you know you've got a 15 pound test monofilament that slaps on the water that's probably going to spook a fish right mm, yeah and um, i mean just from a vision standpoint too like i imagine casting out there they're gonna they're gonna see that fly line and see that you know initial 15 pound test but then it makes sense for it to it to taper yeah. down to to become invisible from both like a sight standpoint and a and a sound and vibration standpoint too right yeah to kind of give you an example uh uh i'll talk about this in a minute uh, is one of my favorite places to fish so i've caught a 20 pound cutthroat trout on a five weight fly rod and typically a five weight fly rod you would use for f- trout that are you know, somewhere in the uh, 16 inch range. So probably a pound to two pounds. You can probably catch something a little bit bigger on that. Uh, so the fly line, the five weight fly line was able to handle that just fine because it's a braided line. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be a really high pound test. Uh, but what was important about that was the leader, the monofilament leader that was on the end of that was a, uh, I believe it was probably a 10 pound test leader that I was using and that's really where you, the strength comes in. And that's no different than the monofilament that you would buy for conventional fishing as well. It's, it's got to be able to match, one, the, the weight of the fly. But two, if you get something that uh, is, is a pretty big fish, you want to be able to pull that in. So you want the right pound test leader for that type of fish as well. Okay, that makes sense. So one thing I'm a little bit confused about in your fly setup is is how the reel exactly works. Like, is there is what's the sort of drag system on it, and how does it uh, how does it let you put out so much? You know, put out your line. I'm just I'm kind of confused on that whole concept. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny in the culture of fly fishing, the reels. Uh, if you're trout fishing there's not as much importance in the reel as there is in the rod and the line, but, uh, reels are the bling for fly fishermen. It's, uh, we, we really like to see the colors in them. Uh, a lot of them are made from a, 
a single billet of aluminum. It's uh, you know a CNC machine. It, it is able to just make a reel out of one billet of aluminum. So it's like I said, it's the jewelry. It's the it's the bling of the fly fishing world. But it has a really big importance as well for two things. One, it's holding the fly line. There's a backing that is that goes on first, and then you put the fly line and then the leader on as well. So it's it's holding enough fly line for you, um, so that that fly line stays uh, it stays you know clean. It's it's well organized within the reel, and that it doesn't develop a lot of memory in that fly line as well. So that's a good purpose for it. But some of the best fly reels out there have really good drags. And the drag is a conical drag system or a stacked drag system, something very similar to what you would find also in conventional like spinning reels. Um, but its importance is to, uh, just like a regular conventional reel, is to dissipate that energy of a fish pulling on that line into the rest of the drag. Uh, and there's different types of drags for freshwater fishing, freshwater reels. The drags are typically not sealed because uh, in salt water they would have to be sealed so that the components inside uh, don't get uh, corroded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, sense. In, in a lot of uh, there, there are fly reels for uh, freshwater fishing when you're when you're fishing smaller fish where you're going to be able to just pull on the fly line to be able to retrieve that fish into you. You don't really need a drag for that. Um, and they call that a click drag where the, the, a simple click system is providing a little bit of, uh, a little bit of resistance to pulling that fish in. And a lot of uh, fishermen will actually just put the palm of their hand on the bottom of the reel to kind of stop the fish from running as well. But if you're fishing for bass in fresh water, or if you're fishing for larger trout from three to four to five pounds, then a good drag system on that reel is is important to have. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because like if you're going for smaller fish, you know, you just you know set the hook and then and then pull your line in. But you know, you run into a bigger one, you know, you might set the hook and then you know, it's going to take out drag and then you run out of the line that you've been casting and then, and then the reel has to kind of come into action, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Okay. Perfect. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the flies. So what are the, what are the different types of flies to use and, uh, and do you make your own? Yeah. Um, well, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll obviously answer the question about making my own and the latter, but let me talk about first, you know, the three types of main flies that you would want to select. And again, this goes back to, uh, you know, learning entomology and what the insect looks like under the water. So you're trying to match uh, the life cycle of an insect. And the life cycle really starts, uh, it starts at the nymph, what's called a nymph or the, the pupa stage. Um, or egg stage of a, of a particular insect. Um, it's considered to be the most productive of all the different flies to use because it truly matches where most of the fish are feeding. Uh, 90% of the time, fish are feeding under the water, so they're looking for insects that are underwater, which they're go- those insects are going to be in that egg stage or that pupa stage. Um, and, and that's just how to fish the nymph is under the surface of the water. 
Um, the next stage uh, is uh, emergers or what we call wet flies. And wet flies are fished below the surface, uh, typically just right under the surface of the water. Uh, and if you can think about it in your mind, you have the nymph uh, or the pupa, which when, it, when a fly lands on the water, it will deposit eggs into the water. So an adult fly, think of a, a stone fly or, um, you know, like a, uh, I can try to think of a larger fly that people would know, but there's fl uh, flies called mayflies and they land on the water and they deposit their eggs into the water. Those eggs will then sink to the bottom of the river or the lake and then deposit themselves or cling onto rocks, structures, sticks, anything that's in the water. And then they'll use the nutrients from the water to, you know, to essentially grow until they're ready to hatch. Then they'll release from the structures underwater and then float to the top. And that's typically when fish are keying, keying in on those insects is when they've released from the rocks uh, from under the water and they're floating to the top. So you'll see fish kind of hold in, in a rapid and they'll watch for those insects coming down the stream and they'll just, you know, go, uh, go eat those, those insects that way. Um, but when they get very close to the surface, uh, they start to come out of their pupa stage and start to uh, release their wings. So when they're on top of the water, their wings will dry and then they'll just fly off, which was the last stage of an insect, which is what we call the dry fly or the adult fly. Um, and when those flies are either sitting on top of the water, uh, ready to deposit their eggs, or they've, uh, they're out of the pupa stage or out of the larva and they're releasing their wings, waiting for them to dry so they can fly away, a fish will key in on that. So that third stage is what we call a dry fly. Um, and that's probably the most exciting part of fly fishing because it's like topwater fishing for bass. Uh, you can see the strike, you can see the fly on top of the water. Uh, it doesn't happen as often as it would because like I said, 90% of the feeding that's done is under the water, under the surface, and you really can't see it. Um, so those are the, the three stages of, of fly. Those are the three types of flies. There's one additional one for freshwater fishing and it's called the streamer. And streamers are flies that imitate minnows or crawdads, uh, larger, you know, larger uh, underwater aquatic fish. Uh, and, and trout will, they'll target that. They'll target other minnows and, and crawdads because it's a big meal for them and it provides a lot of protein. And then they don't have to go after a bunch of little insects. So that's, that's really kind of the, the four types of flies. Um, and, you know, to go to the question of whether I tie flies, I used to tie flies. Uh, one of the great things about working at Shields is, you know, Mike, that we get a really good discount uh, for working there. So I, I buy a lot of my flies just from the regular selection. When I lived in Reno, Nevada for a number of years, um, I used to tie flies for uh, a lake there. It was called Pyramid Lake. Uh, they were simple to tie. I had plenty of time to do it, and it didn't take me very long to get a number of flies done. But uh, um, I know that getting into it, it it's an art. Uh, people do it much like people who reload uh, ammunition do it. They do it for the love of just being able to do it. It's, it's uh, relaxing to them. But you can really tie a bunch of flies with just very little uh, amount of materials. You, know, you can buy 
a couple of feathers and probably be able to get about 30 to 40 flies out of those two feathers. So it saves you a lot of money for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen some pretty cool flies out there developed by people, you know, you can, you can really make tying them what you want, whether you want to just make a bunch of them really quick or really go into it as sort of an art form. Yeah. Fly fishing, uh, really runs in my family. Most of my, uh, my uncles, my brothers, uh, we all have fly fish for many, many years. Uh, one of my uncles, uh, he would tie, uh, salmon flies, uh, poppers that are used for, for bass fishing and they would never get fished. They were so cool and so well done. They were put in shadow boxes and used as art to, to put on a wall. Uh, and he was, he was really good at it. He used to, he used to own a fly shop in Montana and then moved to Missouri, uh, years later. Um, he was a professor, but one of the things that he was known for was, uh, the creation of his flies so good that people just didn't fish them. They didn't want to fish them because they looked so good and they would put them in, uh, uh, put them in shadow boxes and put them on their wall just to, just to look at. That's very cool. Okay. Well, I'd like to dive a little bit into, you know, actual out there fishing. So you have all your gear, you're ready to go. Um, how do you, uh, how do you figure out the right depth for your, for your flies? And, and, you know, after that also, how do you, how do you cast? Can you go through the cadence and then, and then how to keep your fly in the zone for, uh, for finding fish? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll start with, uh, when, when you, you know, how do you, how do you know where to fish? Um, how do you read the river, I guess, when you come up to it? Uh, so when, when you're fishing in a river, um, which I, I, I really enjoy fishing rivers, but one of my favorite parts is in a lake as well. Uh, so in a river, when you're fishing, um, you want to look for a spot called a run riffle pool. And you'll hear that a lot in fly fishing is run riffle pool. Uh, the run is the rapids or the pocket waters that are in between the rocks. Um, and then usually once that, that water gets through those rapids, then it turns into um, a riffle, which is kind of the gliding slower water that is right after the rapids. Um, and, and then there's a pool typically after that, that's a little bit deeper and the two stages of trout, the, you know, trout, when they're not actively feeding, a lot of times will be in the pool. So they'll be in the deeper spot. Uh, the, it's, there's not as much current down there, so they don't have to waste as much energy. Um, they'll, they'll maybe forage for insects and, and animals down at the bottom. But the riffle is really where most of the action happens. Uh, the, uh, the trout will typically be toward the bottom of the, the river. And because that's where the least amount of current is. Uh, most, you know, most of the time, if you look at a river, most of the current and the swiftness of the river is going to be toward the top of the column of the, of the water, but down towards the bottom is where there's the least amount of current. So fish, when they're feeding, they're typically going to be toward the bottom. Uh, so when you're selecting, you, you walk up to this run riffle pool, uh, you're going to be, you know, selecting my typical, uh, selection is uh, going to be about three to four feet uh, below the water is where I'm going to uh, to put most of my fish. And most of the western rivers, uh, you know, if you're fishing those riffles, 
typically your lure is going to be or your fly is going to be anywhere from about three to five feet under the water. Uh, so uh, fly fishermen use uh, to, to try to, to gauge that depth and to try to keep and hold that depth in that, uh, that area of the water, we use indicators, uh, which is just the fly fisherman's fancy way to use a, to say bobber. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't like to align ourselves with conventional bait fishermen, right? So we, we call it something else other than just a bobber because it doesn't sound as glamorous. So it's an indicator, indicating a fish strike. or uh, So it it's it's, can be a foam bobber. It can be a yarn. Uh, it can be uh, uh, it's just a bubble that we use. Um, a lot of times, depending on... Uh, you know, you don't want to spook the fish. They'll use really, we'll use really, really tiny types of yarn or uh, just just foam that we put on the line to keep it in place. But what that does is it holds the the fly in the right place throughout the entire drift. And typically, what I'll do is I'll walk up to uh, I'll walk up to the the riffle and I'll cast my rod or my fly line up towards the front of the riffle, kind of where the rapids st- stop and the riffle starts, and then just watch it as it, the, the fly line will, or the, excuse me, the, the lure, which I'm usually using a weighted nymph at that point, it'll go down and then that, that indicator will hold it in the right zone throughout that, that drift. And then once I get to the end of the drift, I'll just cast it right back up to the, the front, always watching that indicator to see what it does. If it pauses, then I pull my rod back because that's typically a strike uh, or it could be hitting the bottom. If it's not a strike and it's the bottom, then I'll adjust my indicator up or down uh, just to be able to do it. So it takes a little bit of trial and error uh, when you're casting to try to figure out where that is within the uh, within the zone. Okay, so your uh, indicator, is that usually on like the leader portion then or is it actually on your fly line? Or does it? Yeah, vary? it's on the leader. Yeah, it's on the leader portion. Yeah, great question. Uh, it it wouldn't be able to fit on the fly line, and typically, uh, depending on how close you're fishing to that that riffle, uh, the fly line is is not it's generally not most of it's going to be in the water because you're fishing fairly close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the indicator is always on the leader, and your leaders are going to be anywhere from about. Uh, nine feet to maybe 12 feet uh, generally. Uh, so you have plenty of, of line there to be able to put that indicator up above uh, up above your lure. Okay, that makes sense. And then so the, the types of fly lines, is it, do they all float? Do they all sink or is there different types? What are the applications? So the, the fly lines, you, you have different, uh, yeah, different applications of fly lines. Most of them are floating fly lines, so the entire line floats until it gets to the leader. And typically the leader is going to sink uh, unless it's a really light leader and you have a dry fly on, which is typically going to sit on top of the water. So those leaders, you, know, you don't want them to sink. So use a monofilament leader using, uh, versus a fluorocarbon because fluorocarbon has a little bit of weight to it and it might sink uh, somewhat. So uh, when I'm using a weighted nymph, um, that's, that's going to drop down in the zone. Uh, and if I don't have an indicator, then it's going to pull that floating fly line underneath it. Uh, there are fly lines that have uh, sink tips. So maybe anywhere from seven feet to 30 feet of sink tip. And that is just used to get into deeper zones. Uh, to deeper water. 
for example, if you're fishing a streamer, which as I said earlier is imitating a minnow, uh, you're going to be fishing in a little bit faster, deeper water. Uh, so you cast it out and you want that lure to, and that fly to get down to the bottom of the, the river fairly quickly. So those sink tips um, are, are weighted in grams uh, based on how fast you want it to sink. Uh, so when you cast it out there, you just let it sink for five to 10 seconds, uh, depending on the sink rate. And then you start retrieving it back and that's gonna start pulling that lure back through the water. Um, so a lot of times fishermen, depending on what the current is like in the river that you're fishing, will also use some split shot that's uh, uh, maybe six to 18 inches above the fly um, to be able to get that down in the water column faster down to the bottom where the fish are. Mm-hmm, that makes sense. And then are you just increase the weight a little bit with the, with the speed of the river you're fishing then? Is that right? Correct. Yeah, you just need to add a little bit more split shot or take some away, just depending on how it is. And as I said, it's a little bit of trial, trial and error to figure out where that fish is is uh, going to hold or, or what the depth of the water is. Uh, you might snag up on a rock or, uh, you know, a tree that's, that's buried under there a couple of times and, and lose a rig, which, raising my hand, I've done that a hundred times, <laughs> but uh, without... You know, the conventional fishermen fishing in a lake or something, they have a, a, a sonar fish finder to tell them what the depth is. And a lot of times we don't have that luxury as a fly fisherman, so there is a little bit of trial and error to, to figure out exactly where the bottom is. But it's important because you want to be right in front of the fish. That trout only has a, a split second to figure out if what's floating by is an insect or it's just a piece of trash or a uh, you know, a piece of bark or something just coming down. Uh, so they have a very small amount of time to figure out whether they're going to strike on that or not. So you got to be in the right spot at the right time. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Qu- question for you on, on positioning, getting to your spot. So you're, you're walking down the river, you're finding that, what was it? Rapid ripple pool or yeah uh, yeah run riffle pool run riffle pool there we go okay you (laughs) you find your run riffle pool and you want to start fishing it um how do you approach a spot without scaring the fish yeah uh so the the best way uh, in fish can feel the vibrations of somebody walking on the riverbank um so when you're it, it depends on the size of the river Uh, So the best way to approach it is to make sure, one, that the sun, I always make sure the sun's not behind me so it's not casting a shadow onto the water because that can spook them. Uh, But I always make sure that when I'm walking up to the edge of of a small stream, for example, um, I'll get down on my knees um, and I'll kind of approach, kind of almost crawling sometimes to get to the edge to see if I can uh, see any fish that are feeding and what I mean by that is they might be coming up to the surface and, and uh, eating, you know, either the adult flies or those emergers, you know, off the water. Uh, because if you're walking along a small stream bank, for example, they can feel your vibrations and they'll, they'll scatter and, and scoot right under the edge of the bank. And then you're, you know, you're done. You're, you're caught. You're, they, they've spooked. So when you're approaching that, it's, it's important to be stealthy. Uh, to be quiet so that you're not, yeah, you're definitely not going to spook the fish for sure. 
And you know, I always approach it from the downstream uh, side, if I can, uh, which is, you know, you're approaching that pool or that riffle, I approach it from downstream. And then, um, I, you know, if you see any fish feeding, uh, that's, that's the key. The one thing you don't want to do is, is just uh, wade right into a riffle and blow up the fish. Um, so just kind of stand back a little bit and wait and see if you can see any fish feeding on the surface and then you know where you're going to cast and how you're going to cast. And then you just don't walk into a, a place and just blow it up. And you're probably not going to catch any fish in that pool because you've, you've spooked them all. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Can you go through the, the proper types of clothing for this? Like, are you, yeah. are you using waders all the time or are you f- or fishing from banks in some situations? So, uh, yeah, it really depends on the situation. Uh, so the clothing you typically use, uh, you know, for, for gear, you're going to uh, use waders, um, you know, a breathable waiter. Uh, sometimes you can use neoprene waders uh, for colder temperatures, but typically in the summertime, they, they sweat a lot and they're, they're heavier. So uh, I typically uh, recommend that a customer buy a good pair of breathable waders and you can buy them as inexpensive as 69 to to hundred dollars. Uh, you can also pay up to a thousand dollars for a pair of waders, but make sure the, the it's breathable, the material is breathable so that when you sweat that steam can, can go through the material and be able to dissipate, but it's not going to allow any water into your, into your clothing as well. And then uh, select a good pair of wading boots. Um, wading boots vary quite a bit as well. There's a felt bottom and a rubber bottom type of sole. Uh, some Western rivers require that it has to be a rubber sole so that you don't transfer aquatic insects or uh, the invasive species from river to river with a felt bottom. Um, but it, it also comes down to if you're fishing in a really rocky stream or river, you want something that is going to be able to put cleats in it, like aluminum cleats or bars, so they can grip the river, grip the rock, so you don't slip and fall when you're when you're uh, when you're walking around. Uh, boot choice is also important if you're doing a lot of hiking. Uh, you want the stability there. Uh, you want comfort there as well. Uh, we sell insoles from uh, Sims Fly Fishing that you can put in the wading boot so that, you know, no different than a running shoe or walking shoe just helps you with stability and, and keeps your feet from getting fatigued. Um, there, underneath the, the waders, uh, if it's colder temperatures, I always recommend uh, a fleece or thermal uh, underwear um, so that, one, it can wick the moisture away from your body and it's you don't have that sweat holding on you and, you know, and you get cold. Uh, but in the summertime, uh, use something that's uh, like a breathable pant or uh, something that's a breathable shirt so that you don't get too, uh, that you, you, you don't get too hot. You don't get too fatigued. It just, it's, it makes for a much more comfortable uh, fishing situation. Uh, waders that I suggest, uh, you know, there's some really good ones out there. You can buy a really good pair of Gore-Tex waders from fly fishing or from Sims Fly Fishing starting at about $350, uh, which they're really, really good waders and it'll last you much, much longer. But the, the, uh, the experience that you have is, is much better because you're just so much more comfortable. You can fish longer and uh, they have really good warranties. Um, so, 
Yeah, that's those are kind of the, the things that I recommend, kind of the gear I recommend to to just even get started in fly fishing. Have a good pair of waders, good pair of boots, and uh, select the right clothing. Uh, don't put on a pair of denim jeans <laughs> <laughs> underneath your waders and expect to to be very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, that was a lot, that's a lot of great information there going through, you know, tips, strategies. But, uh, you know, one thing I don't quite know yet is, is casting cadence. So how do you, how do you yeah. work that fly rod? Can you go through that for me? Yeah. Uh, and I guess before I start talking about that, I always recommend that, uh, kind of learning to cast the way I did. Uh, I didn't have anybody teach me how to cast and I've had told, I've had people tell me before that I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Um, you know, guys that I respect and are, uh, that I've known in the fly industry for years, but the way I learned was by watching YouTube, uh, by watching fly fishing, casting one-on-one type of, uh, uh, videos. And you got to understand it's not like conventional fly fishing or conventional rod casting. So you have to put all of that out of your mind and uh, just really watch those videos and watch the the casting. So the cadence, um, we we call it uh, in fly fishing, it's the 10 and 2. So 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock. So you grab the fly rod um, and you put it in your hand, gripping it. Usually the thumb is on top of the uh, on top of the grip, and then your fingers are wrapped around the uh, around the handle. And you you kind of put it out to the side of you if you're a right-handed fisherman. You're going to put it out to the side of you, and your your arm is going to kind of be in a little bit of a V shape. Uh, and then you're just going to let out about 15, 20 feet of line maybe, and then slowly pick it up behind you, casting behind you at about 2 o'clock, and then just pausing it there, snap, just holding it firmly at 2 o'clock for just a bit to let that line come back behind you and then quickly push it forward to 10 o'clock and stop. And that's the cadence. And you'll do that about three or four times going from 10 o'clock to two o'clock to 10 o'clock to two o'clock until the rod is loaded. Uh, So that fly line that gets weighted, it's putting energy and loading the fly rod. And all that time you're with your left hand, you're holding a little bit of fly line you might pull out maybe you know 10 to 15 feet of fly line next to you and you hold the line pretty close to the reel as you're casting back and forth and then when you're ready to just let the line go you stop at at uh, 10 o'clock and release the line out of your left hand and the energy of that rod is going to push through the line and then cast out in front of you so what I, what I would recommend for somebody just getting into casting is one, watch as many fly, fly fishing casting videos as you can to watch guys do it. And then take your, take your rod and reel and tie on the end of a leader, just tie a little bit of piece of yarn, a yarn that's about an inch in length. Tie that onto the end of the line because that's going to simulate the weight of the fly. And then walk out to a park, uh, go to the, your nearest school, get out on the lawn and then pull out about 15 to 20 feet of line in front of you. And then just stand there, put your hand in your, in your, your pocket, your left hand in your pocket. You've got your rod and reel in your right hand. And then just practice going from 10 and 2, just slowly back and forth. Uh, what most people don't understand is that the motion forward is just as important as the motion backward. And they're the exact same cadence. Uh, so in conventional fishing, 
you would, you know, put the, put the rod behind you and then just forcefully push it forward. Right. And all that weight from your lure is going to transfer it out that if you try to do that with a fly rod, then that line is just going to drop in front of you and you're not going to get the distance out of it that you need it. So I was counting my head when I'm going backward, one, two, three, and then the same thing, one, two, three, forward, just slowly back and forth. And you can feel that fly line uh, tailing out behind you and you can see it tailing out in front of you and you'll get a much easier cast out of it. Okay. That makes sense. So when you, when you do your release, like, are, are you fishing right after that? Or do you release it and get a certain distance and then use that distance you gain to do the same process again and get farther? How does that work? So when I've released the line, I'm typically getting 30 to 40 feet out of that on a you know regular basis. And that's, that's enough to, to, if you're in a lake, that's just enough what you need. If you're in the right spot, you only need anywhere from maybe 30 to 60 feet of line out. So once you've cast that, then you're fishing. Uh, you're doing, you're either retrieving it slowly in six inch increments, just pulling that fly line backward to imitate that, that the insect in the water, just kind of trying to get to the top. Uh, or if it's a, if it's a dry fly, or if you've got an indicator on, you're just letting it soak. You're just letting it sit there and waiting for the strike of the fly. And then a lot of uh, it, most fly rods uh, or most fishermen have a harder time picking up 60 feet of line out of the water and doing those two or three casts again to, to try again. So you'll retrieve back the line until it's about you know 15 to 20 feet out again, and then go through the same cadence again. Uh, just false casting two or three times and then releasing it in front of you and letting that line, the, the energy of that line release out in front of you. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Lots of, lots of great information. So I just got a couple more questions for you here. I think, I think the, most of the fly fishing portion, you know, the, the actual process and the, and the equipment you got covered. But what I, what I really want to know is, uh, what is your favorite fly fishing story? Okay. Well, that, it has to do with probably my favorite fish, to target. It's, it's my favorite thing ever. So I, I spent a lot of time, I spent about 11 years living in, in Reno, Nevada. And most people in the United States probably have never been to Reno, Nevada, or don't even know, they know it for a gambling town. Uh, they know about Lake Tahoe, which is, you know, about 30 minutes, uh, west of, of downtown Reno. But a lot of people don't know that it's got one of the just north, about 40 minutes north of Reno, is a lake called Pyramid Lake. And Pyramid Lake was uh, a lake that covered most of northern Nevada thousands of years ago. And it's receded into a lake now that's about 350 feet at at a maximum depth. Uh, But it is one of the greatest uh, fisheries I've ever fished. Uh, Fly fishermen fish off of regular stepladders. One of the best ways to fish is... Uh, taking a like a four step or six step ladder and you pull it out into the water and and climb up that ladder and you might be you know 30 feet off the bank uh, but you're standing in water on a ladder casting a fly rod it's something that people have never heard of before 
but the reason we do that is because you're trying to get yourself out of the water. You might be standing in, you know, four to five feet of water and to try to get the fly line out and do the casting is hard when you've got the water right next to your elbow. So you stand up on the ladder so that you can cast further. And there's ledges, uh, there's big sandbars on the edge of the, the lake and there's ledges that we're trying to get to because that's where the fish hold. But in this lake are fish that can reach up to 25 to 30 pounds. Uh, they're trout, it's called, a, it's called the Lahontan cutthroat trout. Uh, it's an ancient uh, species of cutthroat trout that has been in this river or in this lake for thousands of years. Uh, the world record is 41 pounds. That was caught back in 1925. Um, so my favorite fishing story is related to this, which is I was fishing one day on a boat in about 80 feet of water with my fly rod, and I had one of those sink tip lines on. It was about a 30-foot sink tip, and I would just cast it out in front of me, and I would let it sink to about 30 to 40 feet down in the water. Uh, and I had a, a streamer on the end of it that looked like a really big um, fly that we would use for typically striped bass, for fishing for uh, striped bass. And uh, uh, I started retrieving it about 12 inches at a time, super fast, because these big fish, they target uh, a chub that's uh, na it's natural to that uh, big balls of, of tui chub is what it's called. And uh, so I was pulling it back as fast as I could. And when I when I when that lure got up to about 15 feet in depth, I saw it. It was a huge fish, one of the biggest trout that I'd ever seen in this lake. And he was coming right up after it. And it took everything that I had not to stop the retrieve because I was just <laughs> shaken seeing this fish come up. And this 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 lake is super clear. You can see 15 to 20 feet into the water. So I could see this fish coming up after my, my fly. So I kept stripping and he, he struck at it and missed it. And he coughed up about six to seven chub that he'd been eating on. Uh, and there was about three to four other fish that were probably about 10 pounds themselves each trying to get the chub that were falling out of his mouth. Uh, so he swung around and I kept retrieving and he came back around and, and struck it again. And this time he grabbed it and then it was on. He took me down, back down to about 40 to 50 feet, just peeled as much line as he could. I was trying everything I could do to stop this fish. And finally, about 15 to 20 minutes later, I got him back up to the boat. A friend of mine grabbed the net and we netted him. Uh, he came out to about 22 pounds uh, that I caught on, on my fly rod. And so that, that's one of the best stories I think that really that's my favorite place to fish is pyramid lake um it can be hard uh you fish it during the winter time so it's really it's really cold but man the reward is is amazing mm -hmm. very cool that is an awesome story just being able to you know sight fish and see that far down and see such a big fish coming up after it I, you know i love the part where he just opens up his mouth and chubs are going everywhere it's like those <laughs> big fish are just looking for an easy meal and oh man that's that's yeah. super cool that's definitely enough to get me really itching to to try fly fishing now yeah and, and i think that's why people want to get into fly fishing is because of the stories like that it's you may not catch as many fish as a conventional fisherman but man, you sure have a good time doing it. And 
you really get to fish in some pretty cool places. Uh, you know, walking into the backcountry of Colorado or Utah or Idaho, conventional fishermen typically don't go back there. And, you know, some of the most iconic scenes you'll see in a picture book, you're standing right next to a river and you're in that book. You know, you're, you're the one that's, that's fishing right next to all of this picturesque uh, scenery that you see and, and read about in books. It's, it's really cool. It gives me goosebumps. I got goosebumps right now just talking about it. <laughs> Very cool. Just an adventure you, you really can't find anywhere else. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I've got one final question for you. What is that uh, fly fishing shop going to look like in Colorado Springs? <laughs> this was one of the reasons I moved to Colorado Springs was because I was super excited to to uh, to be able to develop this shop. And I've I've developed a lot of new fly shops for Shields over the years. That's one of the privileges that I get. Uh, but it's 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 big. It's probably about uh, about five or six thousand square feet. Uh, we're going to have uh, about 1,600 different patterns of flies. Uh, we'll have a really good selection of fly rods, uh, fly tying, um, and you know we carry Sims fly fishing uh, waders. Um, a really good selection of their waders. Uh, we carry waders, you know, for the beginner angler, anywhere from $99 to $200 waders as well. Uh, we'll have a full uh, shop of clothing as well that you that you can pick from. So uh, it really is a full service shop. Um, one of the the advantages I think we have uh, from this shop is that it's uh, it it really will service every angler. You know, if you want to get started in fly fishing, we've got the equipment that you can can get to start in fly fishing. If you go out, you know, once or twice a week, um, every week of the year we're going to have stuff for you as well. We have the gear for you. Uh, and if we don't have it in the shop, we can special order it. We can get you, get it to you quickly. Um, so, uh, I've, I've really been uh, involved in developing our fly shops over the years for shields. And, uh, this is going to be cool. It's a great experience to be part of just developing one of our newest, best fly shops in our company. That's awesome. So what, what else are we going to be able to find in that Colorado Springs store? Uh, <laughs> everything. If you've never been in one, then, uh, it's, it's hard to explain, but, uh, uh, you know, we've got everything. I like to, to think of it. If you've ever been into a Dick's Sporting Goods or a Nordstrom's or, uh, you know, a, a Bass Pro Shop at Cabela's, just think of that all combined into one. Uh, it's, it's got everything from fashion clothing to apparel, to sh- casual shoes, hiking shoes, uh, fashion shoes, uh, and that's just the first floor. So I like to call that mom's floor. Uh, <laughs> and then on the second floor, you've got the team sports so from baseball, golf, uh, you know, basketball, football, all the gear that you would need for that, as well as exercise and exercise machines. Uh, and then we have a, a huge camping shop right next to, to a taxidermy mountain that's going to hold about 180 to, to 200 animals. Um, and that's really what makes the Shield store, I think, unique is the experiences that you have in there, including a 65-foot Ferris wheel with 16 cars that you can, can ride. I had a question today from somebody who says, can we actually ride the Ferris wheel? I said, absolutely. We're going to have people operating it, and you can ride that, that Ferris wheel. Uh, a cafe, you know, a cafe that you can buy soups and salads and sandwiches, but also to be able to get some fudge and some ice cream at, at as well. Uh, a toy shop and uh, something that probably my kids are going to be really excited about is the Fuzzy Wigs candy store. 
Um, I'll have to get them all hopped up on sugar and then take them over to the Legos. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. <laughs> oh, it sounds like we're going to have a little something for, for everyone in that store. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, perfect. You know what, Chris, thank you so much for your time and for your, for your, just all the information that you've given us. It's been, it's been really great. And, you know, I've I definitely have the itch to try some fly fishing. I also have the itch to make it out to Colorado Springs, check out that new store come the end of March. It's going to be, it's going to be pretty sweet. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. Like I said, I really love talking about my passion, but, uh, uh, this has been really fun. So I appreciate the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on here. Okay. You're welcome. You just heard our conversation with Chris Pyra of the brand new Colorado spring store on an introduction to fly fishing. He covered some great information, and if you have any questions, want to learn more, you can either reach out to us in the comments of this podcast, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram at Shields Outdoors, or just head to one of your local Shields stores. They have a plethora of experts ready to answer any of your questions. If you like what you heard today, we encourage you to give us a follow on the listening platform you chose today. And with that, we want to thank you for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.